We had an awesome time at Vacation Bible School this week, and I hope that you have gotten a small glimpse of that. And my only regret is that Pastor Randy did not join them while they were doing their motions and the dancing like he did last year. Um, my name is Mr. Dan, if you can't tell, and um, I was identified as it in the worship folder. So whatever it is, I guess that was me, usually the one that was um, being it in Games of Tag and stuff like that. So I'm glad that y'all are here to join us this morning. Um, we are continuing on a series uh, last week we talked about a battle, the battle for holiness, and it was uh, this um, struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, this morning we're talking, uh, continuing along that same line of thinking, um, and this, this morning our theme is battling with the devil. You know, if you're here for the, for the first time this morning, I don't want you to get the wrong impression about our church. Okay, we are not usually talking about battling devils and Satans and evil things, and um, we don't typically have exorcisms on stage and stuff like that here, but there's a first time for everything, I suppose. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, though, notes that there's two errors that we typically fall into regarding devils and demons and and these types of things. The first error is one of ignorance, that, that we ignore devils and demons, uh, that we uh, don't believe in their existence. This is the first uh, error, that, that we just ignore them. Uh, the second error is to obsess over them. So to become uh, caught up, uh, to, to fall into uh, an obsession over those things. You know, many, if not most of us, would probably fall into the first category of ignoring uh, the devil. You know, this, it's not really something that I typically think about every day. I'm not sure about you. you know, it's, it's not something that we spend a whole lot of time thinking of. And there's actually some Christians, many Christians, and many people that would kind of disbelieve in the whole idea of an evil being like Satan. There's a lot of those people. Now, there's this a grave, that's a grave error in the Christian life. You know, but how could it possibly be harmful to not believe in the existence of Satan. Well, we'll get back to that in just a second. You know, the other error is this obsession. It's, it's where we become wrapped up in, we start to maybe even dabble in, uh, we, all we can think about, we become engrossed and then fearful and petrified um, and afraid of Satan and deep and dark things. There's many of those people as well that they have one focus and one fo- focus only, and that is on um, the devil. So why is it important to to be afraid, or why is it important to, um, to believe in the existence of Satan? Why is that? Um, first of all, I'd like you to open up to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the, the verse, this is our passage for this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is, in this passage, is talking about the whole armor of God, verse 12, Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look at the first few words of this verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now think about that for a second. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, flesh and blood, these things are physical. 
So if what we are wrestling against is not uh, physical, that means it's not visible. You know, we, we have an enemy. There's an enemy that's, that's invisible. It's not physical, but it's not flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against a physical force. So Paul here is identifying an invisible enemy. You know, when an enemy is invisible, then our danger is pretty great. Now, you're not afraid of me right now. I don't think any of you. Probably. Um, but what if you knew that I was carrying a weapon on me? Do you become afraid of me now? Do you become more afraid of me when I pull out my weapon now? Okay, if I stick it right here so you can see it. Are you more afraid of me now than you were before? Potentially. Now, are you safer now than you were before? Because now you've identified the threat and you know what I'm capable of and the fact that I have a weapon. You see how understanding and believing in the existence of Satan is kind of a big thing. If you're not aware that there's an enemy, then you're not prepared to fight. Now, I'm going to ask Griffin Ridgeway to come up here for a minute. Come on up, Griff. If you don't know, Griffin was the state champion in Class 6A wrestling that was, um, well, about last month, okay? So Griffin is a pretty bad dude. Um, (laughs) Just to show you, I'm going to put my weapon over here, Griffin. Okay, if Griffin and I were to wrestle, Griffin, are you afraid of me in the slightest? Do you think possibly that I can beat you? (laughs) Be honest. He says no. That's that's right. Okay, now close your eyes. Okay, um, come here. You guys. Keep your eyes closed. Look here. Right here. Should Griffin be afraid of what I can do now? If these guys are on my side. Right, Griffin, open your eyes. Are you a little more afraid? You think we can take you now? Maybe. What if you kept your eyes? <laughs> Love it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> What if, we, what if you kept your eyes up closed the whole time? Could we take you? Probably. Yeah, probably. Okay, thank you guys. Go sit down. All right. If you do not know that there is an adversary, you are much more susceptible to what the adversary can do. Okay? You are much more susceptible. If the threat is invisible, that's kind of a problem. If you don't believe that there is an enemy, that's an issue. Now, John MacArthur describes the Christian life in this way. He said the Christian life is warfare. Okay, the Christian life is warfare. Matthew Henry said that we have enemies to fight against, a captain to fight for, a banner to fight under, and certain rules of war by which we must govern ourselves. Okay, in war there's enemies, there's allies, and it's vital to understand who is who. There's a great uh, Chinese military strategist. Um, his name is uh, Sun Tzu. He is 5th century BC. You may have heard of his, um, he's got a great uh, military strategy book called The Art of War. And from his, his book, The Art of War, we get this phrase, know thy enemy. Know thy enemy. This is what he says. So it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you can win a hundred battles without a single loss. If you know only yourself but not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. If you do not know your enemy, you will be in danger. Now, you're not always going to lose. 
I think that's the trick that we fall into, that you're not going to lose every time if you are not aware of who your enemy is, but you will always be susceptible. You know, if we had brought Griffin up here on stage and we didn't say a word and we kept him blindfolded the entire time and surrounded him and then started beating him up, then I like our chances a little bit more. What do you say, Griff? Okay. You know, then we could take him. So here's 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Turn there. Learn a little bit about this enemy. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting, seeking someone to devour. You know, Satan is this enemy. He's an adversary. And if we're unaware that he's an enemy, and if we underestimate his cunning, if we underestimate his weaponry, if we underestimate his desire to seek, kill, and destroy, because that is his only mission, to seek and to kill and destroy, then we are at a serious disadvantage in our battle of Christian warfare. Now, Satan has already been defeated. Okay, he has been defeated, but he has not yet been destroyed. It's important to understand You know, we can walk around saying, uh, yes, I've defeated Satan. Well, no, you haven't. Jesus did. Jesus defeated him, but he has not yet been destroyed. See, he's dangerous, he's committed treason, and he is hell-bent on taking whoever he can with him. You know, while he's dangerous to us, he's no match for God, obviously. And the ultimate victory ultimately belongs to God. So if the Christian life is war, which it is, and Satan is the enemy, which he is, We have to know the enemy's tactics. You have to know how this war is going to go. So one of the the first tactics tactic of Satan is deception. This is his first tactic. Um, C.S. Lewis says this in the Screw Tape Letters. Um, He's talking. There's this is a conversation between a demonic demon supervisor and kind of an underling demon. Um, He's sort of teaching him, training him of how to uh, attack people to prevent them from becoming Christians. This is what he says. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. You finish this sentence for me. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Thank you. The early bird gets the that doesn't really have anything to do with it. But, um, <laughs> Jesus said this, wide is the way and easy is the path that leads to destruction. Deception. It looks wide, it looks easy, it looks nice, it looks comfortable. This is Satan's tactic against us. He's not always tempting us to do what we would call incredible evil. Okay, although there's obviously incredible evil in the world. There are heinous crimes. There are terrible things that happen. That's not Satan's go-to strategy. His go-to strategy is deception. It's to, to trick us, to fool us into thinking that something isn't quite as bad as what we think it might be. 
In the book of Chronicles, uh, chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, uh, but King David's army is, has just finished fighting up against um, the Philistines and some of their giant warriors. Okay, one of these giant warriors is the brother of Goliath. And it's said that his spear is as wide as a weaver's beam. Don't know what that is? Pretty big. Okay. His spear is as large as a weaver's beam. And there's another giant that has six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He's got 24 digits in all. Just sounds like a nasty dude that you don't want to mess with. Okay. And so David's army goes up against and defeats the giants of the Philistines. They're feeling really, really good about themselves. They're feeling great. You know, they've got the biggest, baddest army in the land, which is essentially all that you would ever want. So now that David is feeling really awesome, Satan comes in. You may know this story, you may not. Uh, so, so Satan is feeling really good. Or not Satan, David is feeling really good, and Satan sees an opportunity for temptation. So what does he do? You know, does he come bring another big bad army up against him? No. You know, does, does he try to kill like his firstborn son or something? No way. Satan incites David to perform a census. This is David's great sin. Uh, he perfor- he, to do a census of his people to figure out how many fighting men, how big their army, how, what's the size of their country. Uh, Chronicles chapter 21 verses 1 and 2. Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. What's the big deal? This is a census. All he's trying to do is figure out how many men he's got. He's trying to figure out how big his country is. He's trying to figure out what kind of armies he can go up against. What's the harm in that? And that's the exact thing that Satan is saying to David. What's the harm? And figuring out how good you are. What's the, what's the harm in taking pride in yourself? What's, what's the harm? What's it really going to do? If you know the rest of the story, you, you kind of know the harm. The issue with the census is that David had been instructed by God, like other military commanders of Israel, to rely on God and God alone. See, God didn't need these great military strategists. He didn't need books like The Art of War. He didn't need large numbers to win big battles. What did God need? Faithful men. That's what God wanted. As a result of David's seemingly innocent sin, 70,000 men of Israel are destroyed. They fall at the hand of God. There is no such thing as an innocent sin. See, Charles Spurgeon says this. He said, Christians can never sin cheaply. They pay a heavy price for iniquity. Transgression destroys peace of mind. It obscures fellowship with Jesus. It hinders prayer. It brings darkness over the soul. Therefore, not, be not the serf and bondman of sin. Christians cannot sin cheaply. That's the deception of Satan, is this is no big deal. Satan's second strategy is not so much a strategy, but it's part of his game plan. It's one of desperation. It's one of desperation. Now, Satan does not stop in pursuit of his victims. He's always active, constantly seeking and probing to find soft spots or weaknesses in the enemy. He doesn't fight fair. He attacks the most where the defense is the weakest, which is actually kind of a great strategy. You know, if, if I had Griffin come up again, which I'll leave him sit back there, 
you know, and I, and I line up, you know, a, a, a small child, um, maybe somebody that's um, like me, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe someone that's a little bit elderly, um, a little bit older, maybe in a, in a wheelchair, and I said, Griffin, you've got to pick one person to fight against for your life, and you've got to win. Griffin's probably going to go for the child or for the elderly person, I hope, not me, right? So what does Satan do? He looks for the weak, the unprepared, the sick, the young, spiritually. Okay, that's what Satan does. He's, he doesn't want to fight against a strong opponent, but yet he looks for the soft spots in our defenses. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. So the devil is just an opportunist. See, if we don't deal with our sin, if we, don't, if we leave the soft spot in our defenses, they can be exploited. See, David's soft spot, like the soft spot of so many people in positions of power, was pride. That was his weakness. That was his area that he was most vulnerable. And what does Satan do? But he uses that opportunity to go right where David's vulnerable. See, any sin that is not dealt with immediately has the potential to scar us permanently. Okay, any sin that we don't deal with, that's an opportunity for Satan to work. If we don't deal with it now, then we're vulnerable to his attacks later. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, I thought that we couldn't, Christians can't be possessed by this whole thing. Yeah, you're right. We can't be possessed, but we can be influenced. Look at David. You know, he's influenced. Satan sees this opportunity, brings temptation, and David falls. So Christians are involved in a war against a formidable, invisible, deceptive, and desperate enemy. Drive home safe. Right? No, what are we to do with this information? I know, I know you're sitting there thinking, what's the big deal? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live our lives? So there's, there's three things. They all start with P, so I made them easy. Um, the first one is to prepare. Verse 6, 11, if you, were still in, um, if, if you were still in Ephesians there, says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, God has prepared for us armor for the battle. God has forged the armor. We must put it on. See, God created us this armor, and it's the Christian's responsibility to put on the armor. So what is the armor? Without going too deeply into this, uh, the whole armor of God, it is truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. And what is the armor for? But it's to stand against the schemes of the devil. You notice that, you'll notice when you study the armor of God, that there is only one piece of armor that is used offensively, and that's the sword. The rest of it is defensive armor that prepares us against the schemes of Satan. The second thing is to persevere. So the Christian life is a war that consists of many little battles. You're not going to win them all. We will fall. We will sin. We will fail. We will be defeated at times, but the believer is called to persevere. Just the other day, I think it was two days ago, we had the 70th anniversary of D-Day. Is that right? The, Norm the, the invasion on Normandy Beach. The first men that were coming off those boats, they were told to expect up to over 80% casualties. 
over 80% casualties as they're dropping those doors and storming up the beach. Now, they might, some individuals definitely failed, but the battle was still won. The Christian life is a battle of perseverance. It's a battle of perseverance. When we go through trials and temptations, it's to come out the other side persevering. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul is talking about his own struggles. He's talking, Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more godly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the funny thing about most of the weaknesses that Satan targets against us is that most of those things are things that we would call our strengths. You know, these areas that, that we feel like we've got it all together, the things that we feel like we don't need God's help with, those are always the things that Satan goes at. And yet when we realize our own inadequacy, when we realize our weakness, when we realize the fact that we need God, that becomes a strength because it allows the power of God to work through us. So it's this great um, sort of conundrum here is that our, our weaknesses are actually strengths and our strengths are actually weaknesses. That we might recognize our total inadequacy so that we could rely on God's strength and not our own. And finally, the last thing is to pray. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I saw this on Facebook this week, and maybe you've seen it as well. I kind of hate repost and repost on Facebook, but maybe I just am too picky about that. This, this is what I saw. When you carry a Bible, the devil gets a headache. When you open it, he collapses. When he sees you reading it, he faints. When he sees you living it, he flees. Anybody see that? Nobody? Okay. Anybody post it? I'm not sure if that's necessarily true or not, but I do know this. I do know that hate, Satan hates when Christians pray. He hates Christians who pray. And why is that? Because God listens to and answers prayers. God listens to and answers prayers. There's no way to be prideful when you're down on your knees. Okay, there's, there's no way to, to, when we pray, when we come before God and admit our weaknesses and give them up to God, that's when we have true, true strength. See, prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian life. There's lots of excuses and reasons why we don't pray, although there's no good ones. You know, Martin Luther, he was once asked about his plans for the following day. This is what he answered. Work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Okay. He, he knew he would be so busy that he would need more prayer in his life. You know, what do I do? What do you do? I know I'm extra busy. I know maybe I can put it off to later. Maybe I can just wait until tomorrow. God really knows what I'm going through, right? To spend the first three hours in prayer. Luther also said this, which I thought was amazing. He said, talking about prayer, he said, if only I could pray the way this dog watches the meat. <laughs> we have a 135-pound golden retriever at home. He watches the meat like this. You know, you're calling him. You're, he is dead set on the meat, right? 
That's what Luther says. When I pray, I want to be so focused on God that nothing could possibly distract me. Prepare, persevere, and pray. These are the three weapons that we have against Satan. These are the things to be ready to know what and who your enemy is, to know what his plan of attack is going to be for you. That God might prepare us all for the warfare that he has called us into. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you love us. Lord, that you have called us into a life of service to you. You've called us to join up to your side. God, that we have a captain to fight for and a banner to fight under. Lord, that you have identified our enemy and prepared us for what he wants to do with us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be prepared. To persevere. Lord, to pray. Father, that nothing would get in our way of devotion to you. Lord, that as these things come up in our lives, that we wouldn't fall into the trap of these acceptable, innocent sins. Lord, that we would deal with them now, that we would confess them to you, so that Satan would have no opportunity in our lives. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.